Hello, you're at our podcast. Welcome to the world's stickiest learning. We're with Kim Randall and also Pudding, who you're stroking there. I am. To try and get him to not join in, I think he might be the more vocal of the two of us this morning. <laughs> very true. That's very true. The title of our podcast is Where Do C-Suite Go For Support? Now, I'm joined by Kim, who is a C-Suite coach. Is that right? It is. Okay. Now, in the nicest possible way, Kim, I'm going to ask you, why should we listen to you about this? Oh, great question, Darren. So, um, I guess for me, I started off as in C-suite and was there for a number of years. And then when I um, became a mum, I decided that I could have a bigger impact by coaching other C-suite leaders. Having been there and realised that, that it might be lonely at the top, but it's certainly not quiet. Everyone is looking to you for the answer. Everyone expects you to always be on your game. People forget that our C-suite leaders are people first and leaders second. And we are all perfectly imperfect. We have things that go wrong in our lives. We don't always know the answer. We're not always sure. feeling like we're firing on all cylinders. And so if we can, when we understand the hum, human side of that C-suite, that was one of my passions, it's part of my purpose, which is how do we help those C-suite leaders connect with who they are as a person as well as who they are as a leader and give them that support because no human being in the world can survive without support for long. And is this where you think the phrase comes from lonely at the top? I think so, yeah, because when when you get to the top, you know, both from, from my own experience and also from you know, coaching hundreds of other C-suite leaders, one of the things that is, is so common throughout is we all fear becoming irrelevant. Like when you get to the very top, you know that everybody wants your job. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one of you. So there's nowhere to go. So actually all you are is hanging on for dear life until somebody comes to step into those shoes. Um, and, and that is that plays in, in their head. It's that, you know, am I still adding value? Am I still relevant? Am I still doing stuff because where do you go for your help you can't if you have those moments of doubt we all have them you know imposter syndrome hits us all at some point in our life you kind of go well where where do I go so I'm having this moment of doubt and I can't go to my direct reports because they're one looking to me for support and equally looking for any element of weakness so that they might be able to take <laughs> true, um, true, I, yeah. <laughs> I can't go to the board because they might doubt my confidence or credibility and, and therefore you know, that might have ramifications. So where do I go in those moments where I need to get out of my own head? Um, and we all know that we all have blind spots for the reason we're blind to them. So no amount of looking at ourselves in the mirror is going to highlight those blind spots. What we need is a, sometimes a sounding board, sometimes a trusted advisor, sometimes just a safe space where I don't know if you've ever had these moments, Darren, where you've been saying something in your head for a long time. It's so plausible. It's so likely to be real. And then you say it out loud to another human being. And at that point, you go, it's OK, I don't need to help anymore. I've just heard for myself how ridiculous that is. But you need that space to be able to do it because saying it to yourself in the mirror still sounds plausible. <laughs> Very true. Very true. When we talk to companies about training or often talking to these C-suite type people, then we might say to them, what about for you? And they're like, what do you mean? What about support for you? And I, no, no, no. Let's do it for our people. Don't you need something as well? 
No. Like, why is that? And I think it is that fear. They're not sure that they want to show their underbelly. Yeah, because it takes courage to show vulnerability. Um, yeah. And, and, <clears throat> and there is that line. It's like, you know, how do you show vulnerability without losing credibility? There's a balance. And it's helping them find that balance, that confident balance that says, OK, this is OK. Because actually, when we inadvertently, when we say, I don't need any help myself, that you all need help. We don't have the impact we expected to have. So our impact is we're being, we're trying to be magnanimous. We're trying to say like, you know, oh, I, I'll give it to you, right? Because yeah. I want to be supportive. What instead comes across is I don't need it, but you lot do. Yes. Uh, which yes. is the exact opposite of what we're what our intention is. And I think for me, that's one of the big things I talk to C-suite about, which is impact versus intention. Their intention is usually really positive, but very often how they're delivering it, the impact they're having is so misaligned. And that's when you see people starting to really question whether or not the values are really there, whether or not there's there's a, a disconnect, which in a world where we are constantly battling how we win, attract and retain top talent, the last thing you want is a misalignment between your intention and your impact. Absolutely. I like that. You and I talked about it in our prep and it's impact and intention. Can you give us an example that might bring that to life for us? Something real life where you've either experienced it or seen it in someone you're coaching? Because I yeah, really yeah, like yeah. that impact and intention thing. So, oh, I got that. Mm. Yeah. So I was I was um, doing coaching for an entire C-suite for one organisation. Okay. So individual um, coaching. It had been driven by the CEO. And when I was talking to, to their direct reports, they were like, oh, if, you know, he's dictatorial, you can't tell him anything, you've not got this. And I was like, have you given him that feedback? And there were lots of shaking heads, looking surprised, like, no, Kim. And I was like, why not? Well, I don't think, well, no, we couldn't do that. We couldn't possibly do that. And I was like, okay. But he's instigated this programme. So he's doing it as part of his development. He's brought me in. You know, I do, I, as well as other uh, coaching, I do stakeholder driven coaching where you get the stakeholders and you get them to give the feedback as well. So, so you know, he's driven this to say he wants the feedback when we don't think he really does. <laughs> so, okay. And they said, well, could you give him the feedback? Brilliant. Like, Volunteer. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I can and I will because that's part of my job. I said, but let me play out for you what will happen. I give him the feedback that this is how you all feel. He comes out to talk to you about that and you all go, I don't know what she was on that day. I didn't say that, it must have been somebody else. I said, how likely is he to really believe that this is a challenge that he has an opportunity to overcome? And they were like, it's a fair point, but could you give it him anyway? <laughs> so I went in to, to talk to him. <clears throat> and, right. Um, I was giving him the feedback and he was like, no, well, definitely not. And I said, OK, let me let me start from a different place, because the first thing that we do when we're given feedback is we defend what we were trying to achieve. So he's trying to be supportive, to be open minded to the areas that he needs to develop. I said, so so I shared this with him. I said, let's start with what I think is your intention. I think you're trying to be an open minded leader. I think you're trying to create a culture where feedback is part of the DNA, where it's the positive, because everything is about moving you forward. It's allowing you to be the best that you can be. It's shining that light on your blind spots to allow you to see them and then to respond to them. Nice. Would I be correct? And he was like, absolutely, Kim, I'm brilliant. So that's great. So that's what you're trying to be. That's your intention. That is what you were putting, you think you're putting out into the world. Can yeah. I now share with you the impact you're having? 
because whilst that's what you're trying to do, the impact you're having is people are scared to come and talk to you. They don't think you will listen to the feedback. They, they are afraid of making a mistake. Um, and that's the culture that they are now permeating throughout the organisation. So whilst your intention is here, your impact is here. Um, my role is to help you align your impact, yeah. your attention. And he was like, oh, right, I get it. So, so now, now actually I'm on the same page. Now you're my ally, let's work that through. I said, because you know, there is the old adage, a fish rots from the head. I said, so if, if we've got a problem in our culture, we have to look at the leader <clears throat> and say, where, it, where is the misalignment between intention and impact? Because I believe that most people's intentions are honourable. There is always, before anyone shouts at me, there is always exceptions to the rule. <laughs> but I believe in the main, you know, people don't get up in the morning and go, I wonder how to be really horrible today. I wonder how to be a really rubbish boss. I wonder how to really frighten everybody that works for me. I wonder how to stifle my organisation <laughs> from being creative, innovative and forward thinking. I've yet to meet a C-suite leader that I think has that as their mantra in the morning. This is my intention. For the You're day. right. Everyone goes to work. They want to do a good job. They want to make a difference. Or at least 99% of people. Absolutely. Agree. Great. So once we know that piece, one of, one of the challenges we've got is when somebody starts to tell us about how we didn't deliver what we expected, they've not first shared with us that they believe we were trying to do the right thing. Okay. So what we expect. <clears throat> Is what we were trying to do so you end yep. up in this awkward conversation where <laughs> where you're trying to tell them what they did and they're trying to tell you what they were trying to do and you you're having different conversations you're not <laughs> not aligned yeah. and it's very much in that emotion space so we're all in that emotion we're all in that fear when we instead start by agreeing the intention so let me just check i I want to know if I want to know if I'm right. I think what you are trying to achieve, what you're looking for, your big goal is this, 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 and this. Am I right? Yeah, great. Because that's a great goal to have. That's awesome. I love that. That's going to have such a great impact on your organisation and your people. Do you mind me sharing with you how some of what you're doing isn't helping you achieve your intention? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, yeah. <clears throat> What you've done by sharing the intention is you've gone, I think you're a good person. I think you're trying to do the right thing. I absolutely categorically believe in your goal. It's the right thing to do. So now, actually, it's not about criticism. It really is about constructive feedback because I'm no longer fearful of what you're going to say because all yeah. you're going to do is help me achieve my goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it totally switches the dynamics of the fact that, you know, as we chatted in there, uh, as we were coming into this, our emotional brain responds 24 times faster than our thinking brain. So unless we address first the emotion, what happens is it's not we don't respond to what's happening. We respond to what we're making it mean. Yeah. And that's why they say there's three versions of the truth. My truth, your truth and the actual truth, because it isn't factually what's happened. It's what both of us have made it mean and how we've responded to it that gives us our version of the truth. I love that. So we're talking about in, intention, we're talking about impact, and that bit about, I've just written it down, the emotional brain responds 24 times quicker than the thinking brain. I didn't know that. Okay, fabulous, fabulous. I love that. And then you talked about the misalignment, so then it's just about trying to get these two to do this. Okay, I like yeah, that. Absolutely, and, and the person 
with the problem always has the answer. They don't know the answer, yes. but they have it within them. Um, and, and so I guess, you know, as you know, in coaching, our job is to really listen, really listen. And that doesn't sound very hard until you ask somebody how well they really listened, because we've lost the art of being comfortable with silence. Yes. The minute I stop speaking, you know you've got to start. So when you think I'm about to wrap up, you're no longer listening to me because you're thinking about what you're going to say. Because we're fearful of that moment. <laughs> because we don't want the person to think we weren't listening. Whereas if we were genuinely listening, there would be a moment's pause where we're going, huh. And you can feel that by showing you're actively listening, going, that's really interesting. Uh, okay, what that's made me think is. Um, and, and then we, and it's usually the gold comes in the moment where we're wasting our time thinking of the response. And that's when they tell us the real gold. <laughs> um, key that's going to unlock what's going on. Um, but we're already off here and we, we are with solving the world. And this is as all human beings, not just as coaches. It's how we manage all conversations these days. And, and let's let's talk about coaches. There is a perception that coaches can do the job better than the person, which is total yeah, yeah. Um, but just give me your take on that because we know it's true but for yeah. the people listening what what's your take uh, I, I get that all the time so you're a coach so you think you're better it's like, absolutely not absolutely not and, and my, my, I always share with people that if you think about every top actor every top actress every top business person entrepreneur politician athlete you name it they've all got a coach if the coach were actually better it would be their name we knew yes. and we don't know their name and that's because they're not better at it. What they're able to do is stand behind you and shine a light on your blind spots. Um, and that's why, in my opinion, every coach should have a coach, not because that coach is better than them. I've got a number of coaches. I can't see my blind spots. I can't, no matter how hard I try, but they can help me to see my blind spots. And together we grow. And my example of that would be, we always show a picture of Usain Bolt and yeah. Glenn Mills. And Glenn Mills, by his own account, is a short fat bloke. Now, Glenn, I think he can't even run, is what he says. And there's a lovely bit in the Netflix documentary called I Am Bolt, I think. I Am Bolt. And Usain looks to the camera and he points to Glenn and he says, all that bloke does is ask me questions. I love that. It's like, yeah. he's a coach. Whoa! Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, because he knows that actually the answer is within the same boat. Um, it's more a case of it's sometimes what we need is the right question. You know, one of one of the greatest joys in my life is when you when you finally frame the question, find the right question, and you see the light bulb go off yeah. in the person you're coaching, and you're like, yes, that's the one. Because it won't be the right, it won't be the same one for everybody. But once you see it, and you see that dawning realization, and that. And that knowledge that they knew the answer, that actually it was, they always say everything that we need is inside us. What we need to do is find the key to get it out. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm sure yeah. you sometimes get those moments where you're like, I know it's inside me, but I wish it comes to mind. <laughs> it's really helpful if somebody would make it a bit more obvious to me right about now. And it's like the questions are the keys to unlock the doors. Absolutely. So. We're talking about where does C-suite go for support? So if I were to assume, and I don't know this, but they probably break into three groups. Don't give me any support. There's no way I'm going to expose myself. There's something a little bit I can do. And then there's probably the enlightened few that grab a coach like you. Is, are they the three or are there more groups, more types? 
No, it's, 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 I think there's probably one, one, one other, and, and that's probably a, a nuance of your first one, which is don't give me anything, I don't need it. And they'll be the don't give me anything, I don't need it in public. Um, and then in private, I know I need something really, because actually this, this is, this is really hard. This is, you know, we, we sadly see so much the, these days, and, and I've got a few clients that have been in that space where it reaches burnout. Yeah. Because they've not reached out for help and you internalize all of that, it's going to come out somewhere. You know, they say that that disease is actually dis-ease. It's a body that's not at ease. Um, and so we, we've got to be really careful of, of those parts. And therefore, I think that's where there's an opportunity for people to start doing some elements towards self-help. So that might be the uh, you know, they read in they read books, they listen to podcasts like this one, um, they go and get some resources where they can go, okay, I can do I can take the first step. I can do something today. Nobody needs to know. You know, it's like share with anybody that I've just yeah. listened to this book or just read like, yeah, yeah. Sort of podcast or um it's because I read my books on audible <laughs> or uh, read my book or, or just done this. Nobody needs to know. But what I what I, I what I'd like to share with everybody is take a step. No one has to do it alone. Um, and if you're not ready to take a big step, take a little one, because all of it will help. All of it will allow you to, to view things from a different perspective, because everything in the world is a world of polarity. For every left, there's a right. For every up, there's a down. So for every problem, there's an answer. Um, and sometimes we've just got to have it put in a different way for us to view it from a different angle, for us to see what that answer is. And, and that first step that you're asking them to take, what's the objective of the first step? If there was an objective, is it to shine that light on a blind spot or something else? Yeah, so I think it is. I think it's to identify what's getting in your way from finding the answer. Um, okay. So, so you, when we're in that moment, when we're in that space, um, you, you kind of know what you think, sorry, you think you know what the problem is. And, and this is very often the, the piece. And there, again, there's a, a theory, I think it's called the five why theory. And it says that when we ask somebody a, a question, they will first respond with the answer they think is most likely. So when you uh, when you say to somebody, for example, that's um, handing in their notice and you say, what is it's made you leave? The pay. What is the pay or the package? Because we expect that people will accept that. But when you dig into it, and I'm not suggesting everyone, so everyone listening to this suddenly becomes a child that goes, why, why, why to everything? Because you know, living with a seven-year-old, I understand the pain of that. <laughs> but uh, it's that part that goes, oh, OK, that's really interesting. Can you tell me more about the, what is about the package that you've got versus the package that you're getting that's causing the problem? And if they were the same, would you stay? Because it's like, well, actually, no, because that's not the problem. <laughs> so you dig into it. And the reality is, by the time you get to the, the kind of fifth level, you get the fact, I really hate my boss. <laughs> Stop with me, I don't want to be here. Um, so even if you change that, no, you wouldn't be able to change the other. So, so I guess for me, the taking the first step is to be able to say, am I currently addressing the actual problem? Sorry. Or yep. am I currently addressing a symptom of the problem? Um, because if you're only addressing the symptom, you cure that one, but you've not cured the problem. So you'll feel more and more stuck. That it's like I'm running really hard <laughs> and yeah. I'm getting nowhere. <laughs> I think yeah. I'm the same bolt and I'm not. <laughs> um, so, so I think for me, the, the reason I ask people to do it is I, I know what it felt like to feel that stuck uh, and the relief um, when actually 
I was able to find ways to view things differently, to look at them from a different angle, to go, oh, is it that or is it not? And, um, you know, one of the things I always say to people is start living with a life of passionate curiosity with yourself as much as with others. So we, we've still got brains that were designed the way that they needed to be when we were cavemen. Um, and that was make a decision, make it quick. Am I going to be killed or not? Is this safe? Is it not? So we still do that today. So people tell us something and we immediately go, I either agree or I disagree. Um, because we, we leap to judgment. I now say to myself, can I still do it? Because that's where my brain's gone. But I immediately follow up with, why are you so sure? Why are you so sure that you agree or you disagree? Why haven't you asked more questions? So then I'll ask of the, the person who said it, oh, that's really interesting. I've not thought of it like that. I'd love to know a little bit more about how you got there. I may still continue to disagree, <laughs> but I'm going to learn something in the process. And it allows me to stop immediately holding on to that first thought and go that's it um which over the years of doing like running businesses myself but also coaching leaders through it is once you can get yourself in that space where you're open to not having to accept that the first answer is the right one is the moments of pure breakthrough and true creativity and innovation wow wow having, having spoken to you a couple of times I've said to you again in the nicest possible way you are unusual and I, I love the way you look at things and to grab 10% of that and coach that in other people. Wow. wow. So yeah. let me ask you a slightly different question. Um, if I want to take a first step, I'm looking for support. I'm a C-suite, but I don't want anyone to know a good book. Could I read? What would you recommend? Yeah, so there's oh, there's, a, there's a few um, that I really like. So um, Dare to Lead by Brené Brown is is a really good one. Okay. Um, I like the um, the Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, and that talks about how most of the time we settle for our sphere of excellence. So we've worked out we're good at something, and that we can get paid for it. But actually, our our sweet spot, the bit where we really are us on Baraka, um, is when we do the work to become our sphere of genius. Oh. Um, okay. It's, it's a fascinating it's a fascinating book uh, for those. So so I would I, I would highly recommend those. I, I love books. So I've got, got lots that I would do. Um, Crucial conversations is another one that I'd recommend for anybody because it mm -hmm. really helps you do the breakdown of those moments when a conversation becomes crucial. And, and by that, what they mean is it's emotionally charged. So one or both of you is feeling fear of something, uh, and they again talk very much about stick to this intention. And then you can keep coming back to it. Um, so they'd probably be my three if I were if I were looking at good books to help you move forward. All right, fabulous, fabulous. All right, I've just written down a couple of those thinking. I'd like to look at those. All right, and then as another first step, we've got some coaching cards that you and I have done together. So yeah. you kindly wrote about 80 questions, yeah. and these are C-suite coaching cards. Would you bring that to life for us, how they can be used, that type of stuff? So they actually work on the GROW model and the GROW model has been around since the, the 1980s and it is most people have heard of it. And it is a um, it's a really. Um, it's a really simple model and almost can be dismissed because it is so simple, but very often it's the simple models that are the most impactful because, as the saying says, keep it simple. Um, so what it does is it says that, you know, Imagine I, I was trying to bring it to life by saying, imagine you are in a sat nav. You're about to you're about to program in the sat nav. What's the first thing you have to do with your sat nav? 
tell it where you're going. Yeah. If you don't yeah. tell it where you're going, it's not going to get there. So the yeah. first part of, of grow is obviously your goal. What is it you're trying to achieve? And the more clarity you get on that, the better it is. The second thing you do with your sat map is tell it where you are. Because if it doesn't know where you, it knows where you're going, but it doesn't know where you are, it can't calculate the options. And then you'll know it comes up with, I'm calculating, are there any things you want me to know? You know I want to avoid this. I want to, so with grow, you've got your, your goal, then you've got your reality, where am I? And then you've got your, um, you know, what are your opportunities? What are your options? What things could you do? And I always say within that, also include what are your obstacles? Because yep. it's the obstacles that will get in your way. Um, and often when we're doing goal setting, particularly a C-suite, we map out the happy path. So here's where I'm going. Here's where I am. Here's my options. I'm going to go and do them. It's like, yeah, unless you know what your obstacles are, they're going to blindside you. Know them, take yep. action. Yep. Um, and then you've got your, um, you know, what are you going to do? How willing are you to get into that uncomfortable space and do that growth? And the purpose of the cards is they're broken down into those four steps. So that... Um, and there's a variety of them, because back to what we were saying earlier, it's finding the right question yes. for the right person at the right time. So in each of the, you know, in each of them is broadly 20 for, for each segment of, of them. And the idea is read through them and find the one that actually goes, that's the one for me today. That's the one that's absolutely unlocked that challenge because it's helped me see it from a different view. And I think sometimes with that, the reason I love the, the GROW model is back to that, are we dealing with a symptom or a cause, is often we think, well, it didn't work because it was the option that we took. Um, and again, I always get people to question through all the cards and go, was it the option or was there something in your reality that you'd not really considered? So if I were to use a, a personal um, outside of work one, I was at you the know, start of lockdown, I was like, I'm going to do couch to 5K. And I'd got my goal and my reality was, you know, I used to run years ago and that should probably be okay. And here's my options. And it didn't work. And it didn't work because I was locked in with a three-year-old and I'm a single parent. So what do I think she was going to run 5K with me? <laughs> <laughs> it was never going to happen. So I was missing a massive factor in my reality that I'd just not considered. Yeah. I'd thought about actually when she was at school, I could go when she was at school, but she's not at school, she's in lockdown. So, so it's those elements that go, okay, we sometimes have to come back all the way back up the model to say, actually, we just weren't really clear on our goal and therefore the option was never gonna work. And that's why I love the model is it is so fluid uh, and particularly in C-suite, it's really useful. I use it in meetings. So I use it in meetings and go, what's the goal of my, of this meeting? What do I want to get out of this next board meeting? I, I do a lot of board effectiveness. Um, and then what's the reality of where we are right now so that I can understand what my options are and, and how we're going to happen. But I use it also to frame it when I'm sharing meetings. OK, so the goal of the meeting today is this. The reality, this is what we're trying to achieve. This is what we want to do for the organisation. The reality is this is where we are. So now let's get into our options and what are we going to do what are we going to do next? It really helps our brain frame a way through a problem. Yeah, fabulous, fabulous. All right, we're just coming to the end, so I'm going to ask you, uh, would you show us the coaching cards? You've got a box there just so people can see. Okay, so it looks a bit like that. Fabulous. Um, so as a first step in terms of where can a C-suite get support, it could be a book, it could be a podcast because they don't want to expose themselves yet, it could be using the coaching cards, and then if they're really lucky, they could be coached by you. 
bless you. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me or some or another person. For me, what I would always say, if you if you're going to go and um, talk to a coach and, and work with them, it's really important that you connect with the right person. Yes. You connect with somebody that you go, I trust them. Yes. Because you're going to have to share um, your vulnerability, and it takes courage to share vulnerability. And you yeah. know, as a coach, I always have hugest admiration for C-suite leaders who have the courage to share that vulnerability, to start to take those steps, because I know how hard it is to do, um, and how you know it's a gift when people give you that. So I think talk to a few, find the one where you go, and you know, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna feel like this is a safe space. A good coach should be able to shift for you at C-suite between um a non-exec director to your role so that kind of like you know mentor um and uh, they need to be a trusted advisor they need to be able to be your critical best friend and the reason i would say critical best friend is um, anyone can criticize but when your best friend criticizes you they do it out of love yes. they do it because they have your best interests in heart um and the other piece is just to be able to be a sounding board in a safe space that that kind of like no judgment doesn't matter what it is anything anything that's said in the room stays in the room kind of pieces so that when you do share that silly thing that you've been saying in your head that has been holding you back for weeks that they aren't going to laugh at you and they are going to when you go I I hear for myself I don't need to go on they're like okay <laughs> there's no judgment in this space and I think once you find those people um you know, they're they're the, the for me personally, we are, I've got coaches, I've had coaches throughout my career. Um, they have been the piece that has catapulted me to the next level. That's allowed me to look at the dark parts of myself, look at the parts where I have to be accountable myself versus being victim to what had gone on externally and not have to do it alone. So the title of our podcast is Lonely at the Top. Where do C-Suite go for help, go for support? Kim, thank you for answering our questions. And Pudding, who's gone, who is a lovely dog that was shouting at the uh, window cleaner, is now quiet. I know, bless him. He's always quiet at the wrong times. I, I, do, a, I, I do a live TV show once a week, uh, once a month uh, in, in America, and guaranteed he will be quiet as a mouth the entire <laughs> the second that the cameras roll. He's like, me, mummy, I want to come. <laughs> <laughs> it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.